It's Hanukkah this week, and the holiday marks a moment of reflection and connection for so many people in the Jewish community, especially for those thinking of people held hostage and the violence in Gaza. Ever since October 7th, and really even before that, the tensions between Israel and Hamas have been an incredibly difficult issue for a lot of us to navigate. And within Jewish communities, a lot of people are feeling extremely raw about it right now. Lives are on the line, and U.S. responsibilities to Israel are under the microscope. Today, we want to bring you a conversation with a Michigan-based rabbi who shares her perspective on the spirit of Hanukkah, social justice, and a ceasefire. And she'll tell you, she is not representative of her entire faith community. She certainly talks about this moment differently than some other rabbis that we've had conversations with over the past few months. But as a vocal proponent of a ceasefire in Gaza, she does represent some Jews who feel as adamantly about Palestinian rights as they do about support for Israel. This is Stateside. I'm April Baer. Rabbi Alana Alpert serves at Congregation Tahia, a progressive synagogue in Metro Detroit. She was in Washington, D.C. recently as part of a Rabbis for Ceasefire action, and her synagogue signed on to a ceasefire resolution. Could we just start off? Would you mind telling us a little bit about your background in rabbinical work and what brought you to it? Sure. Well, I didn't have uh, a lot of choice because I was voted most likely to be a rabbi in the eighth grade. <laughs> uh, so, um, but, you know, I became politicized in the aftermath of 9-11. And there was a point when I felt that these two identities might be in conflict. But I was inspired by the integration of religion and activism in the history of the civil rights movement and realized that rooting ourselves in tradition and spirit was a profoundly powerful way to support our work for social change. And that's what led me to the rabbinate. Congregation Tahia is sometimes referred to by its members as a social justice synagogue. Can you tell us what that means to you? Yeah. So about a decade ago, the congregation made a strategic and ethical choice to become the leading social justice congregation in this community. And since then, we've quadrupled in membership, but not just quantity. We're blessed with some of the most creative and passionate and brilliant folks I've ever met. And I'm really grateful to Mary Ellen Gerwitz and Andy Levin and others for charting that path, uh, which initially meant uh, bringing capacity to other community organizations. Then it meant helping to found an explicitly Jewish organization focusing on local issues. And starting about a year ago, we determined to put a collective focus on Israel-Palestine. And all the while it's meant integrating a political and ethical learning and practice into our communal life. So last June, I took a delegation of congregants to Israel and Palestine. And my Yom Kippur sermon looked at the struggle against Jewish supremacy in Israel and in our own hearts. And I'm grateful that the congregation had already started that work, started that learning together and opened that conversation, made it more, made us ready to um, meet this terrible moment. This week, of course, a lot of folks are celebrating Hanukkah. That's the Jewish festival of lights and joy. Its backstory has to do with the recovery of Jerusalem and the rededication of the temple. For a lot of people, it's about reconnecting. With everything that's going on abroad, 
Does it feel different to you this year? So there's two stories of Hanukkah. And I've often had an affinity for the military version, uh, to be honest, and thought that the uh, story of the miracle of the oil that lasted eight days when it should have only lasted one, I, I thought it was cheesy, to be honest. But this year I'm thinking about, I'm looking really closely at how the rabbis actually told that second story, the story of the miracle, as a way to undermine the primacy of the Maccabean version of Hanukkah. You know, the rabbis wanted us to be a people of the book and not a people of the sword. So they developed this story about the miracle of the oil. Oh, and they also, (laughs) this is really brilliant. Every week uh, when we read Torah, the Torah reading is pretty set, but the Haftorah, the reading that comes from the prophets, is the rabbis got to decide which reading goes with what Torah story or which reading goes with what time of the year. And their really kind of snarky uh, choice was to put um, the words from Zechariah, the prophet Zechariah, who said, who, well, who heard the mystical vision, not by might not by power, but by spirit alone. So it's been really an ancient, thousands of years long struggle over um, the spirit of Hanukkah. So the rabbis thought that the story of the Maccabees was dangerous then. And how much more so is it dangerous now, right? There's a lot of ideas in this ancient tradition that are problematic, but harmless until you put an army behind them, right? Uh, until you have politicians in the highest positions in government saying that our neighbors are a living manifestation of an ancient enemy. I heard that Congresswoman Rashida Tlaib came to your service last Friday night. Yeah. Was that the first time she'd been there? Uh, no, we've had a relationship for uh, for for a long time, and um, but it was so special for her to be there Friday night. You know, I didn't tell anybody... Uh, in case she didn't make it. And it was, everyone was just so overjoyed at the surprise because, you know, powers far greater than us want to see Jews and Arabs pitted against each other. It distracts the world from fighting white supremacy, Christian hegemony, militarized capitalism. But, But our community, so blessed to be a part of a community that's not taking that bait. We need to take a break. When we come back, we'll talk with Rabbi Alana Alpert about safety, belonging, and finding connection amidst pain. Stay with us. Support for Michigan Public's stateside podcast comes from Lake Trust Credit Union, working to empower financial well-being for Michigan consumers, businesses, and communities. Committed to financial solutions and advice to support people and families. More information at laketrust.org. Support for the Stateside Podcast comes from Kalamazoo College, offering a personalized education that combines critical thinking, curiosity, and creativity. Committed to preparing students for meaningful careers that make a positive impact on the world. More at kzoo.edu. 
I don't know who needs to hear this particularly, but this has been such a particularly divisive moment. And the subject of whether, you know, whether it's mutually exclusive to be supportive of Israel and to be supportive of Palestinian people and their human rights. This is this is very difficult within within Jewish communities. And I, I do think it's this has been a time when, you know, some people in Michigan have been so focused on the hostages who are still being held. Can you maybe share a little bit more about the bigger picture that brought you to where you are on this and why it's been important to be vocal, speaking out about a ceasefire in Michigan specifically? Yeah, speaking out for ceasefire is a religious imperative because the only true, the only path to true and lasting safety for both Israelis and Palestinians is not through violence and war, right? We need engagement by the international community towards a just and lasting peace in in that land, which is holy to so many. So I, I speak out for ceasefire, not in spite of October 7th, not, not in spite of the horrific hostage situation, but because of it, right? That I do not believe that this assault on Gaza is making the hostages safer or is making Israelis safer in the long run. Certainly not in the long run. One of my best friends lives in Ashkelon, which is very close to Gaza with her two beautiful children. And the only thing that is gonna keep them safe is a just peace. And I know that we cannot bomb our way there. I've never felt so clear. Has this subject in the past few months, has this led to any difficult conversations with people you're close to? I'm really blessed um, to have a family that has been on this journey together. So, you know, we have been supporting each other to work through the questions and and challenges we have. That's that's mostly true for the congregation as well, right? Um, not everybody was comfortable with us coming out for ceasefire as quickly as we did, but the differences among us are, you know, of of degree and not kind. But what has been more challenging um, is this feeling of alienation from the broader Jewish community in Michigan, mm. um, right? So, so we love to say like two two Jews, three opinions, right? But that's that's not that's not acceptable right now. Um, I and I I've been you know kind of forcing myself to just hang in there and, you know, go to all the Jewish community events and the meetings of the board of rabbis and all these places to, to claim uh, my belonging, right? Um, our belonging, my the belonging of my community. But sometimes it feels like I'm, like I'm watching a foreign film, like my colleagues are speaking a different language. And, and they're going to be livid that you're talking to me, <laughs> right? They're going to say that, I'm not representative of the Jewish community and they're right. I'm not, but I am representative of a growing movement here and around the world of Jews who believe in the humanity of the Palestinian people and who understand that the freedom and flourishing of the Palestinian community is inextricably tied with our own, right? A movement of Jews who refuse to let our peoples continue to be crushed by the war machine. 
This has been a really frightening time for a lot of Jewish people and certainly for Muslim and Arab people as well. There have been not just threats, but actual reprisals uh, for many for many people. And I, ju- I just wondered if your ideas about safety have shifted since October 7th. Well, when we demand a ceasefire, we long for an end of violence everywhere, right? Including anti-Semitic violence and vitriol. And the increase in anti-Semitism right now is connected to the rising anti-Semitism that we've seen over the last eight years in this country as fascism and political extremism have increased here and globally. So the work against anti-Semitism is the work against militarism, fascism, political extremism, right? And, And towards democracy and safety for for all. You posted a video not too long ago on social media that you dedicated to anyone who's feeling alienated from their communities, anybody who feels caught up in the division of the moment for calling for a ceasefire. Let's listen to a short clip of it. We, we have just a bit for people to hear. Mm. I'm thinking of all of you and that I wish you were by me for Shabbos. I wish that you were here at my table so that I could thank you, so I could thank you for what you're doing. And so I could feed you and I could bless you. I would put put my hands on, on your kepis and I would say the priestly blessing. I would say, May you feel blessed and safe. May you feel luminous and loved. May you feel seen and whole. Do you mind telling us a little bit about why you made this video and what what kind of response it's drawn? Yeah, sure. I was I was driving and I heard this story on NPR um, about how. Um, families were uh, young people mostly, right, um, who had been active in the ceasefire movement um, were being disinvited from um, from their families' Shabbat tables, and it was just felt so heartbreaking. Part of this moment for me is about listening and finding the intersection between what's needed and what I can offer. And so, I, you know, I was driving and I got home and I I just had this impulse to offer parental love and connection to those who are alienated from family. And, you know, it felt a little silly because I'm not quite old enough to be their parents, but I am, I am someone's mother and I've got a few gray hairs now. So I offered the blessing that parents traditionally give their children on Friday evenings because I feel ritual speaks louder than words. And the response was so moving. I mean, people just thanking me and, you know, telling me that it, that my message uh, made them cry, which I was so, I was so moved to hear because so many of us are holding back tears all the time. And uh, we need, we need moments, we need space to, to let them out. You know, when, when we first started talking, you mentioned that you had been voted most likely to become a rabbi in your eighth grade class. Um, I wanted to circle back to that for a minute and just ask, (laughs) 
what that meant from your from your friends and your community at the time and and how you think that spirit manifests in you today i think what my classmates saw in me was that i i loved judaism and that it was just really deep inside me that it wasn't something i could choose to to do or not do it just you know was the air i breathed and <laughs> I was not always clear along the path that that was the right choice. And now I am so grateful, so grateful that I have found myself in this role at this moment. There's this uh, moment in the in the story of of, of the Book of Esther with um, where Mordechai says to Esther, "You know, maybe it was." for this when when the Jews are at risk and says maybe it's for this moment that you know you're here you're you're here in the palace it's maybe this is the moment and um and and it's heartbreaking uh to think that the struggle over this land is going to be the thing that defines my rabbinate there's so much more uh to to Judaism and to Jewish community. Um, and yet here we are. I mean, this is the moral, the moral challenge of my generation. Rabbi Alana Alpert of Congregation Tahia. Rabbi, thank you so much. We really appreciate it. It's an honor. That's the Stateside Podcast today. I'm April Bear. You can find full Stateside episodes at michiganradio.org. Today's podcast was produced by Rachel Ishikawa. Other producers on our show include Mike Blank, Ronia Kabansag, Mercedes Mejia, and April Van Buren. Our interns are Lauren Neong and Olivia Meradian. Our executive producer is Laura Weber Davis. Music for this podcast comes from Blue Dot Sessions and from Audio Network. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next time. Hi, I'm Rebecca Williams. I'm Lester Graham. We've been working on a big project about Great Lakes birds called the Bird Connection. It will look at ducks and trumpeter swans. Egrets and herons. And piping plovers. Yes! We'll discuss what we've discovered at a Michigan Public Issues and Ale event. Including how some problems for birds are problems for people. It's at Arbor Brewing Company in Ypsilanti the evening of May 21st at 7. You can register at michiganpublic.org.